0: Hello and welcome to Talking Capital. I'm Ian Barnard, CEO of CapGen, and I'm here with our Chief Investment Officer, Robert Sears, to answer three questions that have been posed to us by our clients and friends in recent weeks. For those who don't know us already, CapGen is a private investment office for families with capital. We are go anywhere investors. So in the course of these episodes, you can expect us to cover any question across any asset class in any region of the world from bricks and mortar to portfolio derivatives. In summary, this is a podcast where we answer the questions playing on the minds of sophisticated long-term investors. Do subscribe if that sounds up your street and you'll enjoy two episodes a month of Talking Capital. So, Robert, it's been a busy couple of weeks. We've seen uh, several bank failures, but most significantly the failure of Silicon Valley Bank in the US and the subsequent bailout, which has um, happened over the weekend and and early this week. And I suppose there are flashbacks to the financial crisis 15 years ago where we saw uh, not just one or two, but quite a large number of banks, both uh, in the US but also outside the US, failing. Although, interestingly, then it was after the Fed had stopped rising rate, raising rates that we saw uh, the bank failures, whereas we now have the extraordinary situation of uh, the Fed, both raising rates and, uh, and banks failing. But anyway, so, so um, Silicon Valley Bank, um, Robert, tell us what happened, what was going on?
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, as, you, as you said, Ian, really Silicon Valley Bank, and, and with its um, signature as well, uh, two of the biggest bank failures of all time in the US after Washington Mutual. So in some ways, it's quite striking. But in other ways, this is quite normal, really, for this stage of an economic cycle. We've seen a typical sort of bank run, maybe, uh, and also bank failures and uh, policy action over the weekend, which, again, that action that that this weekend drew a lot of similarities back to um, 2008, waiting for policymakers to act. So in many ways, uh, there are a lot of parallels but also there are some some parts that are unique. So I think the the first point to say about why why did these banks fail is putting it in the context of of the cycle, which is really important. So we had really 10 years of very low interest rates for most of the period of time, which built up a lot of excess. Mm -hmm. And arguably, COVID, as we talked about on previous episodes, had sort of accelerated that that change. So after the the policy support to get us through the sudden stop of covid, we had an, the bubbles that were there already in tech stocks and in duration assets really accelerated with that burst of liquidity. So that really is the cause at the heart of it and then as liquidity came out of the market over the, since uh, the first quarter of 2021 You start to feel the pressures. And the people that really took too much risk, in Warren Buffett's phrase, we we start to see who was swimming naked uh, as the tide comes out. So, as that liquidity has come out of the market, there are always going to be pressures and uh, issues that came to the surface. Like last year, um, we had the UK pension funds, Um, which were exposed for having taken too much risk as rates went up in in the UK. And in this case, what's the proximate cause is really that liquidity coming out of the market and interest rates going up uh, is really the the catalyst of of what happened. But it's not just on, uh, I suppose it was both sides of the balance sheet that was the issue. So uh, when we look at uh, the liability side of of, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, the issue there was actually the depositors were quite concentrated, concentrated within the tech industry and VC industry. So you had a lot of concentration of risk um, and those deposits surged in um, after the, the the support of uh, 2020. And that's again, is one of the causes of bank problems is often this extremely fast rise um, in deposits. Uh, Precedes the problem, and we really saw that with Silicon Valley Bank. So deposits there went up from about sixty billion dollars in Q1 2020 to over two hundred billion by Q1 of 2022. So it's a rapid increase of deposits, and unfortunately, because they're all concentrated, the risk was they left at the same time. So the problem is deposits—you uh, you had a concentrated. Uh, book of, of depositors, but also on the loan side, linked to industries. And, that, and and like with 08, arguably, it was when you saw that the correlation between the homeowners was the issue here, a business which is quite concentrated became the issue. But then on the the other side of the equation, the asset side, again, it was vulnerable to the same trade. That search for yield is really what had happened. So the problem was really interest rates were really low, Typically, what banks are doing is they're they're, um, lending long while borrowing short. The deposits have um, a short maturity and the loans have a longer maturity. So, this is the inherent duration mismatch, which is at the heart of the the problem in the banking industry. But it is a normal part of the banking industry. But in this case, what they, they did, search for yield, they were buying longer duration treasuries and uh, mortgage-backed securities to get just that extra bit of yield um, when when interest rates are very low. And so, those assets were vulnerable to the repricing of rates that we saw last year. So, both sides of the balance sheet, we had rates going up, meant the the assets they had went down in value uh, on a mark-to-market basis. And the problem is also, we had the issue rates going up, created that problem in the VC world. So we started to see deposits come out of um, the, the system, both problems with the uh, within the, the underlying companies, but also the attraction of money market funds as interest rates on treasuries started to, to increase, meant deposit flight. Um, and we saw it accelerated last week, really. That was the bank run element, was because it was all within one industry, um, contacting each other by electronic means. So you had the bank run, not only could you submit your re- requirement to get your deposit back quickly electronically, but it was also accelerated by all the electronic communication between the, uh, between the parties to pool their deposits. So deposits suddenly surging out 25% in, in one day of the deposit base. At the same time, the assets have a mark-to-market issue was was the heart of the problem. So in many ways, typical bank run, typical problem. But the the argument really is the speed of the bank run is accelerated by our modern communication and by the concentration of the uh, of the parties involved uh, in one industry. Um, but that's that sort of giving away too much uh, <laughs> Too much excuse to the bank involved. In some ways, it is Silicon Valley Bank is a bit different to other banks. Uh, although this underlying trend has caused similar behavior, they were an extreme uh, example. Extreme example in the concentration of the depositors and the speed at which the deposits went up. Um, and also in the lack of risk management. And I think that's important. So yes, Banks are inherently risky and have that issue, the the duration mismatch underlying all bank industry, and all banks are susceptible to deposits coming out very quickly. Not only was there the the issue of uh, the concentrated deposit base, but where the Silicon Valley Bank also failed in a risk management sense, was they really didn't hedge their interest rate risk. So, they were taking a big duration bet. And unlike most other banks, when you look across um, the holdings, yes, they're exposed and have mark to market losses, but Silicon Valley Bank really didn't do any hedging at all for that risk of interest rates going up. So, there was underneath it a problem in their concentration and their risk management, albeit all banks have this inherent um, issue within them. So. So is it is it uh, one example or is, is this a, a, an extreme example? Could it be systemic risk? I think that's that's a question really. That yes, they are. Idiosyncratic in some ways, but the problem is inherent across all banks. Really, uh, if the, uh, the the loss of confidence happens, any bank is susceptible to a run if there's a real loss of confidence. That's why the the action by the uh, Treasury and the FDIC at the weekend was really crucial and necessary. Otherwise, there would have been more of um, more bank runs amongst the um, challenger banks in 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 the US. Yeah, I think there's there's um, there are lots of rich seams here and.
0: One of them, I think, as we as we go forward, will be the regulators looking at. Well, hold on a minute. Why didn't we? Um, why didn't we see this coming? You've got a business which, as you say, has got its uh, liabilities concentrated in a small uh, sector, uh, and uh, and in order to attract deposits uh, by offering higher interest rates, perhaps it therefore takes a bit more risk on its asset side and puts money into. Into uh, long duration securities, and then and then doesn't hedge the ri- hedge the risk. And rising interest rates is is that nightmare where the, <laughs> your assets have fallen in value. Meanwhile, your the people that are supplying you with capital, the uh, tech and VC um, uh, folk on the West Coast, are no longer able to fund their business plans by. Uh, raising equity in the equity markets because interest rates have gone up and valuations have come down and people are finding more attractive opportunities in in government fixed income rather than giving money to uh, VC IPOs. And so they start drawing down on their deposits in order to pay the bills of these um, negative cash flow startups. So I, I think the regulators are going to say, oh, yes, perhaps we should have seen that one coming. I suppose another reflection is that this is just part of a trend that's been going on for all of my professional life, which is the consolidation of the US banking sector. Uh, and of course, as we know, uh, consolidation of the banking sector is not a smooth ride, it happens in bursts, uh, savings alone, um, and then obviously the, the f- financial crisis of 2007-2008, those two events were were big consolidators. Uh, so maybe, but I think what would be helpful, Robert, maybe is to say, okay, the so what of all of this? You've touched a bit on, you know, risk of contagion. Maybe you can talk a bit more about how this is going to, sort where this might play out in other areas. Uh, and let also reflect on what this means a bit more generally for the banking sector in the US and where depositors are going to choose to put their money given what's happened to interest rates and what's happened to Silicon Valley
1: Bank? Yeah, so I think the the first point about what what it could create, the, the issues it could create. If we look at the US banking system, it, it, it isn't very concentrated. There are far too many small banks, really. So the, the industry, I think, is moving in that direction of even more consolidation. And we're seeing that really now. The trend is Albeit the the government action did support effectively backstopped all the uninsured deposits, um, which was qu- quite a big action. So trying to secure those those challenger banks. What it didn't do was bail out um, directly the equity holders of the banks or the debt holders. So you're still somewhat encouraged really not in the equity market to to try and uh, sell the the regional banks that are most at risk. And even as a depositor, it's pushing that trend towards going towards those big four, four or five banks in the US, which are too large to fail, too big to fail. So, we are seeing a large depositor flight actually in the last couple of days um, heading towards the JP Morgans of, of this world in the US. What is it also going to mean for regulators so it's quite a big step really to to ensure the um all depositors even above the two hundred and fifty thousand limit, which hasn't happened directly, but that's sort of implicitly. Um, what, what's happened, and the quid pro quo in the future is going to be more regulation. So, whilst um, the regulation and the, the monitoring is very tight on the larger banks, some of the issues went, although they were transparent and within the footnotes of of the the banking documents, you could see what the issue was on some of the mark to market securities. Um, it was somewhat lax in in the in the case of what you were able to call uh, a, a hole for uh, a trading security available for sale for security or something that you're holding to maturity. There were there were differential treatments for smaller banks, which uh, won't be the case anymore. So if you have the support uh, from the regulator, what it means is more regulation into the future and more regulation. I think is going to feed towards more consolidation in the banking system. It also is going to squeeze down from both directions that you're going to have to pay for the deposit insurance um, and also pay effectively for the regulations. It's going to squeeze down margins and profitability for banks into the future. Banks will become ever more like a, a utility with very low return on equity. So as a, as a investor in the sector, it's probably looking less and less appealing um, as we go forward, so I think that's that's some of the issues directly on sort of banking profitability, the banking sector. What does it mean more broadly within um, maybe the, the the industries that are affected in the market? Well, I think the biggest impact on the market is uh, the thought of what it means for monetary policy. So now a lot of commentators and the market pricing, suddenly after this event, we've seen the curve of expected interest rate hikes from the Fed completely flatten and uh, and fall uh, for, for interest rates to decline. Um, and even some some uh, are suggesting maybe even at the next meeting that there, there could be an interest rate cut. I think most people still expect interest rates to go up by 25 basis points. But there is that that expectation that we're seeing this policy pivot and that the Fed is going to be focused on financial stability. Now, I think there are two risks either side, actually, of this, which are the big risks for the market at the moment. I think the risk, number one, is that we do have financial contagion and, that, and it forces us into recession earlier. So that certainly is the, the the tightening of bank lending standards, which was already forecast and expected, is going to increase and that's going to um, decrease future activity and growth. So there is the recessionary risk. Recession, has it been brought forward, is risk number one. But risk number two, which is equally um, important really, um, I suppose linked to that is if the Fed, if we still have inflationary pressures, Within um, within the system, then, and we're going to see the CPI print uh, today. But before this uh, this podcast is released, we'll see what what the CPI numbers. Now, there's is an expectation that CPI is, is declining, and we're certainly seeing that uh, the, the lagged impact within the housing sector is going to um, push down um, the, the implied rents within CPI. And we're also seeing some of the goods inflation start to decline, but there is still some sticky inflation in the services sector. And if inflation hasn't been defeated completely and we do see this pivot, that is a real risk. So the Fed moves to cut too early and we entrench uh, higher inflation and we build that problem for the future. Um, and that's um, arguably maybe a- akin to like a 1998 where um, the th- the, the Fed was faced with a similar dilemma on LTCM failing and then cut interest rates. And arguably that helped the the final stages of that internet bubble uh, really reach stratospheric levels. So the risk is the, the Fed uh, cuts rates um, too early before inflation is defeated. And that creates a bubble, creates a boom and creates a problem of later high inflation and uh, falling activity. But that, that's that's a key question, isn't it? Which is, I mean, we've
0: talked a lot about the uh, likelihood and the timing of a of a recession in the U.S. and its depth and its longevity. Prima facie, you would think that a bank failure brings a recession uh, and a slowdown closer. But you're saying there is the other possibility, which is that the uh, a federal uh, a, a very um, generous Federal Reserve response might, in fact. Push that recession or the asset price revaluation further away, but then make it more painful when it eventually comes. Is is, is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the, the the three problems. So yes, you could push it back a bit later, have an asset bubble, uh, and then create a big problem where you have inflation out of control and you need to um, sort of take action quite quite quickly. So I suppose that that is pretty a pretty. Um, Bad scenario. I think the other scenario, which is probably the most likely, so those those first two scenarios, straight into recession and the Fed's cutting, um, arguably that's a good scenario, provided that you there's enough policy to support um, uh, banking crises that that could emerge. You you enter into that shallow recession. I think that middle scenario, which I talked about about. Um, let it, cutting rates too early you have a bubble and then later a bigger problem is is pretty pretty difficult I think the most likely scenario is actually the Fed is going to have this um sort of separation policy that they like to to perform which is have quantitative easing now so the end of quantitative tightening so enough liquidity to support banks through the problems. But at the same time, increasing rates is arguably the most likely scenario. And I think that's a a difficult scenario for the market. So now we're we're getting a lot of the markets pricing in, interest rates falling. Um, But if the Fed keeps its foot on the accelerator and keeps raising rates because inflation is sticky, and they really do try and... um, uh, Hit inflation and and keep that focus on inflation. That again is probably going to provoke a recession a bit sooner, um, and it could be um, a bit a bit sharper. I mean, it's probably better in the long run for defeating inflation, um, but that's that's probably the most likely scenario that we do end up with recession brought upon um, by interest rates going up. And I think linked to that and if we're saying we've seen a couple of the, the bodies emerge as the, the tide's coming out, and we can see who's swimming naked. Arguably, you can see some more issues if, if that policy is pursued. So if even if there's plenty of liquidity, if interest rates keep going up, we might see some bigger casualties of people who are taking too much risk in a similar vein. Just briefly
0: stepping back and reflecting on the conversation we're having, I was just musing on how, if you uh, rolled the clock back a bit, pre really pre-GFC, um, uh, we used to talk about monetary policy and fiscal policy. There were these two um, dials or levers that uh, were there for policymakers to to deploy. Uh, but now we've got to a point where, yes, there's still fiscal policy, but now we have monetary policy in two parts. Then we have interest rates uh, and then we have quantitative measures. And we're, as you say, in this, in this um, slightly unusual, definitely new place where you have interest rates in all probability continue to go up. Well, there seems to be some talk about a surprise cut, but interest rates are rising. Meanwhile, uh, in terms of liquidity provision, the the Fed is providing more rather than less. It definitely, this is something that is a, a post-GFC thing, isn't it?
1: Um, I think yes and no. I mean, arguably, if we go further back, uh, sort of to the Walter Baghot and the, the, the central banking, is that idea that central bank is the lender of last resort, And you provide lots of liquidity, but you give a cost of capital. So, in some ways, there there are some echoes of the past. Um, Albeit now we still have that the the new GFC, or well, not necessarily new even, but the extreme measures of of QE um, still underlying the system. And in Japan, Yield curve control—that thought that they were going to escape yield curve control—arguably, we're still still stuck in that uh, weird sort of GFC era. So, yeah, there are some echoes to the distant past, even though there are the sort of new tweaks of of um, the GFC era still still present. Um, and we still we still got to face up to those issues of a decade where a lot of business models were based towards interest rates falling, and that not only is the heart of Uh, And and now in a different environment of higher inflation and interest rates going up, suddenly cost of capital comes to bear. And I think there's a lot of companies where the problem has been put aside and we're still waiting because of the lack of covenants on debt and and the ability to refinance so far. um, A lot of those issues are still to come. So I think the big difference is, albeit a lot of the crises now sped up, like we saw that bank run was a bank run in 24 hours, was, was quite extreme. Um, this recession, I think, going back to that, what type of recession it could be, is be patient as an investor because it's it's going to take phases and take a period of time, which is quite unlike really 2008 um, and and more akin to sort of an old fashioned um, long, longer style recession. Well, coming back to the very here and
0: now, um, I mean. W- it- I'm I'm reluctant to say uh, we told you so because uh, gloating in the the aftermath of a a bank failure is not um, uh, uh, not a a kind thought. But I, I guess we have been saying for a while, you know, be wary of duration. I mean, our big message has been be wary of duration, beware of assets uh, where you're relying on uh, movements in their value rather than underlying cash flow as the basis for your return and that you know applied to lots of things including long-dated government bonds but it particularly applied to the the um, the, the in a way the vc or the the tech uh, uh, startup model which is that you uh, you raise money against a promise of uh, success some way in the future and uh, when interest rates are very low that's an easy bet for investors to make and then when interest rates go up it becomes less appealing and that's been the, the sort of our big picture view for quite a while and it was a great protector during 2022 but if we if we come back to Silicon Valley and to tech and to startups and to early stage investing and clearly the SVB, blow up has been just really really tough for that sector and there are lots and lots of things they're going to have to work through does this mean that uh this is now beginning to be the moment of opportunity in this in this area i mean can we talk about is it reasonable to talk about a distressed uh cycle in the vc space or is that is that an oxymoron is that really is distress really only something we should um consider in the context of uh Better established uh, companies. So, what, what are your reflections about that? It is 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 this a moment of opportunity for uh, for those who have been rather cautious about um, overloading on VC uh, over the last
1: decade or so? So, I think the the, f- the first point echoes what I said just now: is be, is be patient. Actually, and I think it's too, it's still um, a little bit too early. And if we start to say uh venture is arguably at the heart of a lot of the problems as we as we discussed really um and when although the us isn't into recession yet arguably tech's in quite a severe recession already and that's one of the the the, the sort of causes for concern uh was if they hadn't acted at the weekend Um, to support the depositors, suddenly you'd have a lot of the tech ecosystem wiped out because those companies who had the deposits at Silicon Valley Bank wouldn't have been able to make payroll and continue as a business. But we're in that limbo phase, arguably, even though the problem started about a year ago, the cash burning companies very much should be thinking about how do we um, keep enough cash to to survive? And there's, there's a lot of companies that are still on the way, on the path to extinction, really, if they if they can't survive and keep the cash going, so th- this this sort of cash burning issue, um, I think is becoming more visible, uh, but it's certainly there. And Silicon Valley tech sector, we've seen a lot of layoffs already. So even in the labour market, there's more concern, more issues in in that that area. But what does it mean for an investor? Um, well. We've seen some marks. I think the problem of this sort of suspended disbelief in private assets is you need to have another round of financing uh, to start to see where the true marks of the, the companies are. So, Klan is one example where there's quite a large uh, write-down, but a lot of companies haven't had to yet because they had enough um, financing. Um, so, we're, we're waiting to see as that sort of problem uh, flows through when finally the the uh, the buck stops and they don't have enough cash to continue. And I think the Silicon Valley Bank uh, issue brought home to a lot of uh, VCs about uh, the the problems that are there um, in terms of cash as well. What does it mean for them? You need to preserve the cash for the companies that are best. So I think where we think about VC and distress, there are always opportunities in the end. But it's because the businesses are less mature, you still want to, if if you're picking up distressed assets, it's very much concentrating because a lot of the the asset is in the future and the people. Um, One area is picking up talent. So that's for other uh, companies that are starting. So maybe earlier stage VC seed companies can have an opportunity to get up get some good, t- pick up some good talent in this environment. So starting new businesses at a very early stage can become an opportunity or much later, you have quality businesses which can survive. And there, we are already seeing on my discrepancy between distressed assets and distressed owners, it's more on the distressed owner side in, in um, secondary VC market, which is a lot bigger, where you can pick up some of these VC stakes, concentrating more on the high quality companies that don't have, need such a long runway until they IPO. So I think it's more in that phase that I would... Um, I would focus, but even there, um, there's a bit of time to go, a, a bit, bit more issues until we have the tr- the true remarking of the assets before before the. Um- uh, before the big opportunity emerges, and also by the nature of VC, what what are you buying? You're really buying an option on innovation, an option on the future, and that's really uh what you're what you're trying to do. So it, it is less about trying to pick up distressed assets. The the big money to be made is by trying to ride the the future trends. So I think it's going to be more a. Uh, uh, the, the, the opportunities will be in underfunded seed investments in the next big thing, and the next big thing at the moment, where all the money's flowing in VC, is certainly AI. So I think it's going to be within that area. Um, but even even having said that, there, there seems like there's a bit of a runway in terms of uh, t- t- markdowns to come before you you need to to rush into the VC space. So I think more pain to come before the opportunity emerges. Albeit there are some pockets of distressed and certainly distressed um, secondary um, sales of VC stakes that are, that have emerged already.
0: Exactly. I'm, uh, to loop back to the beginning uh, about bank failures, I'm, I'm reminded of that great line from one of the uh, Icelandic um, tycoons, or at that point, fallen tycoons, who I think found himself in court uh, trying to explain what had happened to the money that he had once had. And a judge or a challenging lawyer said, "Well, I don't understand what happened to all the money." And the and the Icelandic guy said, "Well, it just went to money heaven." Uh, and and, and uh, I think that's a little bit what you're saying, Robert, isn't it? Which is that that uh, the, the, the distressed um, the way we think about distress in more uh, developed companies and industries is not one that's really applicable to uh, uh, to VC because these ideas. Uh, either work or they don't work. And if they don't work, they've gone. And it's really more about the redeployment of new capital and existing talent into areas that, uh, that offer opportunity for the future. And more generally, your, your message is, is be cautious. Uh, and I think, I think uh, you, you said a while back, um, Robert, I recall that your mantra for 2023 was going to be uh, caution now, opportunity later. Uh, and I think what you're saying in the context of VC just echoes that as well, doesn't it?
1: Exactly. There, there, there are there are opportunities emerging, but that big time to be uh, taking a lot of risk is not is not yet. I mean, the the good aspect of crisis brings upon opportunity, and we're seeing that now. Even now, prices are starting to fall and and come back more towards uh, an area where you, where you can pick up bargains. So uh, the good news of of difficulty is the future opportunity. But that's very much for our portfolios. What are we saying today to do? You're still in that mode of preserving wealth, thinking of ways to protect your portfolio. Uh, And even the boring things like uh, the the message we had a few years ago, don't search for yield when everybody else was. We can see with uh, Silicon Valley Bank an example of what can happen. And I think as a depositor, even the examples are Don't search for yield for a few extra basis points with a bank. Now, you may get backstopped, but that's quite a risk to take. Actually, the better place to be is in the ultra-safe government bonds, which still provide um, liquidity in a real time of crisis. You want those assets to be ready to deploy uh, when when the uh, opportunities do emerge. But as we mentioned last week or, or the last episode, there are opportunities emerging. So the value spread still remains very appealing within um, other markets like reinsurance spreads already quite wide. So we're starting to see um, some of the, the micro relative value opportunities emerging. Um, but uh, for the broad base, take lots of risk, not the time yet. And equally with with sort of buy, thinking about dipping your toe into buying bank shares, I think that's another example of buyer beware now. Yes, you can make three times your money if you happen to be the right side of a, a regulatory uh, move, but they can equally go to zero. It is lottery ticket type, um, it, uh, it, well, not investment, speculations at this stage. So as an investor, think of ways to protect your portfolio. And the big issues are not so much uh, these, if you diversify probably, are not, are not so much uh, one bank failing, but to that point about is it going to be systemic where are the risks in my portfolio, and that's why having an overall hedge um, to your equity risk, being prepared for a recession, which in those scenarios we outlined earlier, all of them end in recession eventually. It's, it's whether it comes sooner or later. So I think, and that's not wasn't priced in, and still isn't today priced in properly into equity markets. So that's again reason for caution wait until the opportunities emerge. Um, And when there's real fear on on the streets, um, that's that's the moment to to be investing. So that's the way we're protecting our portfolios today to look to take advantage of the the bigger opportunities to come.
0: Thank you, Robert. Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed today's discussion, please do subscribe to the podcast. Goodbye.